Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Hamish Peary. Welcome to Travcast, our monthly writer salon, where I get the amazing opportunity to interview writers about what writing means to them in their lives. And this month, I'm very excited to be sitting opposite Pamela Carter, who's a writer and director. She's written 11 plays, including Game Theory, which she co-wrote, that was shortlisted for the Mayor Shortworth Whitworth Award. What We... What We Know, which was here in the Traverse in 2010. And, in, and shortly, Almost Here, which is going to be produced in the Dresden State Theatre. Now, the reason why she's here now is because she is our current fellow with the Institute of Advanced Studies in Humanities. And she is undertaking a fellowship there in a very exciting programme where we work together with them. The writer goes and sits in their wonderful buildings for up to six months or three months and works on a commission. Pamela, hello. Hello, Hamish. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Nice to be here. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here. If whenever I ask this question, I always imagine, probably because I imagine myself, in, um, in a puddle as a small child. <laughs> and I always imagine that maybe that's w- and when you first start to play around with things. I don't know if that... Where did you... When did that first moment of writing or creating something in that way happen in your life? Did it happen as a child? Was there any moment where you thought, oh, is that, is that a link? If you look back now, maybe you didn't know then. No, I used to draw a lot, draw and paint. In fact, I was supposed to go to art school, so it was always visual arts for me, mainly. Um, I used to build sets as well, or houses, uh, out of old toilet roll, quite elaborate sort of homes. So I suppose it started quite early. Really, and you, and it was sets. When you say sets, sets well, theatre or no, I think they were they were homes and houses, but so I could articulate sort of dolls and teddies and things in them. And and act. Was there a sense of performance in them, or and I'm really forcing there? Uh, no, I I didn't show them to anybody. They were just for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe says a lot about the work I make. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. So that's exciting. So when was this moment when you were going to go to art school, and then what happened? Uh, I realised that in order to go to art school, I had to stay to do an art foundation course in Bolton, and I didn't want to stay another year in Bolton. So I decided to go to London, go to uh, university, and do English literature instead. Wow. Sorry, Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of Bolton. Well, I'm going to say thank you, Bolton, for doing what you did in order <laughs> to give us the play right we have now. I'm very grateful for that, as are we all. So then, doing literature, were you writing play- When did this sudden idea to write plays, was that not happen until le- much later? Uh, uh, not until a lot later. Um, I actually wanted to be a director when I grew up, uh, and it was quite a circuitous route uh, through academia and then working with suspect culture. Um, and then I left them in 2002 and started making my own work, and it was devised work. And at the same time, well, I suppose making uh, a few devised shows, increasingly I started to write a few pieces to go in uh, that I wanted to articulate something myself. Um, And then I had an idea for a play 
which I just started to talk about with Selma Dimitrovich, who I co-wrote, which turned into game theory. And uh, I realised that the subject matter and the ideas I couldn't really get to through devising and that actually it needed to be a writing process. So that's... It took Selma and I a long... You know, there was a lot of conversation a few years of developing that. And at the same time, I was working with Stuart Lang, who'd asked me to be a dramaturg or to work with him on an idea for a show which turned out to be Slope, eventually a play we, um, about uh, Rambo and Verlaine. Um, and because Stuart starts with, uh, as a director and a designer, he starts with a design idea and a subject or theme or group of ideas that he wants to work through. And as we carried on our discussions, I realised that the best thing for his design will be a play a proper play with three acts and everything and characters. Um, so I, I just ended up writing him a play. And that's actually the first play that got produced. Um, and it was all right, I think. So it was kind of, it's sort of accidental. I never really intended it to happen. Um, so I'm quite surprised still to end up as a writer. Um, and I suppose over, you know, since then I've just started writing a lot more and directing a lot less. That was... Because almost sort of the, the dream slow progression, if, or if if you wanted to be a writer still, because you're sort of slowly being taken into those, those little opportunities, oh, little you know, devising and then doing a bit of writing, like a wonderful apprenticeship, but an unintentional apprenticeship almost. Yeah, I never uh, I've sort of looked ahead and gone, okay, this is where I want to be, and then I'm going to do these various things to get there. Is I think it's a lot of uh, well serendipity. Uh, opportunities that came up that you weren't really planning on or expecting and you thought you'd take to see what would happen next. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really plan to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very happy it's <laughs> It was a really brilliant moment there, listeners, where she sort of looked at me as if, like, I didn't really plan to be here either, <laughs> but with all warmth. <laughs> um, what's exciting about that well, one of the things that excites me about what you've just said is I've slightly forgotten what I was going to say, which is mildly embarrassing. Um, you were talking about that idea of allowing, not planning and falling into things and letting that just sort of happen. And that's it. Is that a really good outset to have as a writer? Because you haven't always got that control. The fact that you write, you're just in, you're writing this play now and then you're not worried about what's happening next. Well, I am worried about what's <laughs> happening next. Of course, I am. <laughs> um, uh, actually, I think as a writer, I can exert more control. I certainly can, as uh, um, much more control over my life and work than I did as a director or trying to be a director. I think being a writer is much easier than being a director. Um, professionally, you know, sort of finding opportunities. I mean, I'm part of the. I'm going going back to sort of why I ended up writing in the first place is that devising work just the funding process by which you can that you have to go through in order to you know to find the resources to put a group of people together to work intensively together for as long as you can in devising you know uh, it, it, it became a very stressful activity whereas I found I could get money to write a play yeah so it's you know seven thousand pounds over sixty thousand pounds so in a way, I mean, economics has uh, sort of shaped, shaped my world. Uh, and about what the act of that, of going from devising, which is a very interactive work, 
interactive way of working, a social way of working, and both those early projects, the co-writing and then working with Stuart, there's someone else there. And then yeah. now do you find yourself a lot in that room on your own? It's a lonely business. Yeah. And how did you, did you take any adjustment <laughs> to that lonely business? Uh, n- no, I mean, it's, it's, it's been quite easy, but I've continued to work with Stuart, um, and that's a very collaborative process and kind of a wonderful one, actually. And we research projects together over a, quite a long time, and there's other artists working on those as well. Um, and I've worked as a dramaturg with uh, Vanishing Point and Matt Lenton, so at least I get that opportunity to be in rehearsal and be in production. Uh, and the work I do with a Swedish artist, Golden and Senebi, that's quite intensive with them, even though it's a lot intensive through Skype, if that's possible. Um, so so it, doesn't, it doesn't feel lonely in that sense. Um, sitting down to write a play, uh, yay. I spend a lot of time rattling around on the inside of my own brain. Um, and that's quite a dark, <laughs> dusty place to be is it, sometimes. Is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, on a really boring practical level, I love to hear about writers' little techniques. Do you have any rhythms or rules that you have to get through the day? Is there a cup of tea at 11? Is there anything like that? Do you have any rituals? No, I'm really... Uh, it's quite random and quite ill-disciplined at the moment. Um I know plenty of writers who have, you know, they have that uh, software package freedom that cuts off your internet access for so many hours a day. I've got another friend who, on the hour, every hour, will write something. I mean, he might give up, you know, five, ten minutes later, but he's got to be writing on the hour. I don't have anything like that. Uh, Maybe I need to find something. (laughs) (laughs) And then do you find, does that mean that you, when it just comes, you just... Your hours are very fluid. So you m- are you a late night writer as well? Sometimes? No, not at all. I can't. I can't work uh, very well past about seven o'clock in the evening. That's the time to be sitting with a glass of wine in your hand. <laughs> Brilliant. So there we are. That's that makes me feel better because <laughs> sometimes I do worry about right that idea of writing. You know, if you're saying summer's dark in your head and then you don't have control of when you sit, I sort of had a moment of of sympathy for you, sort of rattling around your flat, not not allowing yourself to leave that computer. But you do, you cut off at seven o'clock. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I work better during the day. I work, I, the most productive writing I do is in the morning. And so I suppose, you know, I'll try and get some solid writing in, in the morning and then afternoons start to drift towards YouTube. <laughs> okay. Well, like everyone <laughs> and, else. Pick up a few books, sit down and read for a couple of hours. But the brilliant thing about your life is that reading counts, doesn't it? Yes, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> ruse you've discovered yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So, in the way, as as having that experience and history as a director and as a divisor, does that change the way you write at all? The way you see, because some of the conversations I had with him, you talked about form and you see work in form. Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I think a couple of the plays are very visual. So the the play for Dresden next year, almost here, um, that actually began for me um, looking at uh, artworks that are, that I found compelling in some way and also reading Susan Sontag um, on photography. So actually I was, I was studying visual arts and the play came out of that. Um, then, uh, yes, then I have... A, I, I suppose it's always about trying to match form and content in some way. Um, I need a, a shape... Uh, a structure to find uh, voices that I can then put into that and work up against. Um, 
I f- yeah, I think that's the most important thing for me. There's got to be a relationship between form and content. Right, but you, do you have the idea of what the content roughly might be before the form? Uh, sometimes. I suppose going back to so, um, what we know, uh, I knew I wanted to write a play about grief um, and a very particular uh, moment of time of grief uh, and about loss. But I realised that sort of plays talking about plays about people sitting around talking about someone that died n- didn't feel like grief to me. So I wanted to make something that felt like grief. And I suppose the story of grief is that you have a there is some narrative. You're on some journey, and some something catastrophic happens, and that's it's over. And something else starts to happen. There's no nice tying up of a story. Um, it, it's it's gone, um, and so I wanted to try and find a form that would replicate that moment. So what I needed to do then was to find a structure that would have its own. So like you know, in, in the laugh uh, platitude, is it life goes on. So I wanted to find a structure that would just continue, but yet would, would if you could remove somebody suddenly from it uh, at a point in that ongoing structure then the person left behind would have to deal with both the structure and with this sudden loss. So I had decided, So I had an idea of either building a piece of IKEA furniture or cooking a meal. Luckily, I went for the cooking a meal. <laughs> Bad ideas, good ideas. Um, uh, so I thought, okay, well, I'll make a show that's based around the real-time... Um, preparation, cooking, and eating of a meal. And if I start with two people that are cooking a meal together, I will just disappear somebody part of the way through that preparation and then just throw in a few other people and see what happens after that. So that was that, that was a, a comforting moment of finding that and a, um, and a really important uh, way to hold this quite baggy experience together. What well, I've found really compelling about as on a craft level about that moment when he disappears is that it somehow in the, s- in the structure of the play and it in the writing it is in many ways seamless obviously it's sort of a juggernaut moment in many ways but when we're w- the reality that we still complete we as the audience or the reader completely buys that next reality that goes on we're not going we don't we don't question the world we're in we're asked we question it through her eyes but we don't question it from from a theatrical point of view, which I think is a real achievement in the writing, uh, and it was it was great to know that I could uh, work with a magician, so the wonderful Jamie Harrison. So we went when we did the the production was so it was all about how do you make how do you, how do you find that moment where a man disappears from stage and there's no explanation for it and you don't find out you know there's no unraveling of the of the trick he just goes Jamie Harrison was brilliant so we use black art. That's right. one of the great things about theatre, isn't it? You can do, you can say things like, a, "Yeah, we used black art." <laughs> and just everyone looks at you misty-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, we, we we spend a lot of time looking at Jamie Harrison misty-eyed. Oh really? Yeah, he's so great. That's a good idea, isn't it? How to perk up a rehearsal period? As if I should be, because you directed that play as well, didn't yes, you? Yes. Yeah. There we are. When you get complete control, everything is available to you. If you looked back on your on your work with eleven plays. And your work previously to that, do you see, what would you see the develop? can you see a line of developments in the change or not? Has it always been just about that moment in your life, about what you've, what you've been reacting to the world at that point? 
Uh, I think thematically, yeah, I'm kind of reacting to whatever's going on around. Um, I'm hope I hope I'm getting better at dialogue, um, at the, m the the technical aspects of writing, writing a play, proper playwriting, I suppose. Um, and there's also, I mean, it, it's it took me quite a long time to work out what I wanted to say about the world. I didn't start making my own work until my early thirties. Um, I suppose that's a long period of thinking about it, and then suddenly, not suddenly, beginning to uh, think about my place in the world and identity, and then certain personal experience, so what we know is a very personal play. Um, and then you can only, I think you can only mine that for so long until something else terrible happens to you. Um, uh, but then I'm starting to investigate. Uh, so I, m the game theory came out of me reading about mathematics, um, which was just a whim. I just got into reading maths. Uh, and then since then, I got into evolutionary biology. And then that coincided with an argument about sex, which also then brought me into finance and economics. And I've been reading about finance and for a few years now. Hopefully, I'm getting to the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> do, you some, do you feel like you have, you've, you've got a burden when you've got something on your mind that you can't get away from? Is that what you're in at the moment? You're in this world until you've written the right play that articulates that pl that problem, then you're stuck in it. Yes, yeah, and also that type of thing of like, oh, I'm sad. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have to now. So pride. Right. Uh, a, a lot to do with pride. I think there's a, a lot of my reading has been about um, the things I thought I couldn't know about. Because at school you did, you know, it was arts or science, and I was, I was one of the, you know, science is rubbish, don't understand maths. Uh, and then getting in sort of my 20s, going, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm not thick, I can do this. Uh, so it's hubris. Um, uh, and then also thinking, also realising that these, these areas of study and knowledge were saying more to me about the world than at the time critical theory or visual theory. So then thinking, well, that's the place to start making theatre from, um, where the real discoveries are being made or the real decisions, you know, finance, you know, where the real decisions are being made about our lives. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose, yes, pride. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I think it was more than pride. Do you see that as a playwright you have a role? something that you feel I I don't think there's any I don't think I have a, a social role I ha I have my own social conscience and I have things that I get angry about and that I'm interested in and I don't like people telling me that I can't know things you know so it feels like a red rag to a bull you know the world of finance it's little girl you won't understand this <laughs> so I don't like <laughs> Sorry, I think yes, yeah, sod you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, get stuck in here. Um, but that's just who I am. I don't think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a campaigning person. Um, I don't think I have anything that important to say. But I think I can spot things and point to things that are important to look at. If that makes sense. Yeah. So highlight. Yeah. But in a way, you are you're doing the thing that you say you're not doing rather brilliantly because you're rea you're reacting to the world. 
Yeah, I'm trying to make sense. I think. I but without saying that, you without telling the world you're doing it. I, th I think I'm trying to make sense of the world to myself, and if other people are interested in that, then that's useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your line of work, it's quite yeah, useful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so far as that that's been the case. Here's a really slightly silly question, but I always, as a player, do you have a hobby? Good point. I keep a bird book in my front room in London because I like to s know what birds are flying past. Um, no. Is it possible? Is it possible for a playwright to have hobbies? One of my questions is because is there one day you know because you you love a reading of things that you think you're not allowed to read about. Yeah. That almost feels like the way you talked about that was your hobby, right? I'm going to do this, and then it leads into the next piece of work. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's a lot to be said about people you know you end up in theatre because and you make your hobby your profession um i think that's you know when i was at school and you taught you're allowed to do this for a hobby <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know it's not a proper job um so do i have any hobbies probably not i like you know a bit of walking now and then things i'd like to do never quite get around to doing like learning to horse ride properly <laughs> physical things i suppose right so that, that that's very much away from the sitting and the playwriting. Yeah, because you spend a lot of time sitting on your ass. That's <laughs> We're keeping it in full. There we are. <laughs> <a> complete life. <laughs> <laughs> Pamela, thank you so much for spending the last 20 minutes speaking to me. I've had a really wonderful time. Thank you very much, Hamish. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.